Welcome back to The Extras, my name is Jack. I'm Peter. And we are delighted to be back with you for another episode of The Extras. As many of you, our regulars will know, the way this works is we have people across our Sunday of church texting in their questions as we wrestle with the Word of God, keen to get deeper, get clearer, get a greater insight into who God is and what He's saying to us and what He would have us do as we seek to follow Jesus together. Uh, excited for another week of that, Peter. As we get into it, we are working our way through this series in Genesis. Um, can you give us a sense of where we've been, particularly Sunday just gone, what have been, we've been looking at, what are the, the questions that we've got coming up today? Yeah, we've been following along Joseph's story, the story, lots of twists and turns, ups and downs for Joseph, and we've got to the point where we finally were able to get some insight into what God was doing all of those mm. long, hard years. The famine comes, Joseph is the man on the ground in Egypt, he's prepared, he's set, he's ready. And when the clan, when Jacob's family needs grain to survive a deadly famine, he is the man who is able to sustain them. Mm. But for that to happen, there has to be a long and involved process of brothers coming back together and reconciling. It's such a like a wonderful passage. I mean, as I was wrestling with it during the week, like it's I think it's one of the most moving stories in the whole Bible. Like the it, this this picture of like growth and change, like these brothers, like they start out just absolute scumbags. And so in some ways such a, such an optimistic story by the end, like change is possible, like renewal can actually happen. You see Judah like step up as this, this hero now after all, you know, everything they have been through, like it's, and then yeah, this tearful reunion, like it's just, I don't think it's beautiful. Um, so the chance to get to work through that as a church has been wonderful. Um, raises all sorts of big questions, particularly about forgiveness and reconciliation. When you think about what the brothers did and how awful it was for Joseph to be willing to take them back, I mean, that's massive. And I think that's showing up in the questions we've got coming through. Lots yes. of people wrestling with the, the huge weight of that. So that's coming up soon. Before we get to that, we have one question that came in that's not especially related to Genesis. Um, sorry, Genesis, that's what the question's about. Not especially related to Genesis, um, but a question about generosity. This is something we have been talking a bit about as a church as we think about our, our finances and where church is up to. Uh, someone's asked, what are wise ways to be generous even if you are someone who is financially struggling? Yeah, it's a great question because, of course, we, we think, well, if things are, are hard, you know, it's hard to be generous. We really feel that. Uh, but we shouldn't imagine that the converse of that is true. If I had heaps of money, I'd find it easy to be generous. Mm. It's just not actually how it works. It's not the money that's the issue. It's the, the heart that's the issue. And so I would say uh, if you're in difficult financial times, uh, even in those times, now's the time to be teaching your heart to mm. be generous. Yeah. Be faithful in a little, like the, the parable of the talents says. Set a, set a little bit aside. Maybe, maybe you think you can part with 50 cents a week. Mm. Mark that off and, and give it faithfully week by week and then you know review from time to time perhaps could I part with 75 cents mm. grow your heart don't wait for your circumstances to change you know, keep growing your heart even now yeah I think sometimes in that area you can start to feel like is it even worth it I mean when you think of the scope of what we as a church are seeking to give like this tiny little thing I'm able to offer you know doesn't even make a dent in it and that can be a bit discouraging I think one of the things that's worth remembering is uh it's not just that bigger picture that God cares about. Like the, the little picture of each of our 
walks with the Lord and how we're seeking to be generous with what we have is part of it too. And you have these, there's a few examples throughout the Bible of people showing this radical generosity even out of their poverty. Like Paul tells the Corinthians about their mates up in Macedonia. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, he talks about how uh, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in this rich generosity. And he talks about this this poor church where people had very little and yet they're still just begging to be involved in giving towards the, the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Um, and that's celebrated as this wonderful thing. Like even if the kind of absolute amount of what they gave is you know not great in the scheme of things, the fact that you have people who love Jesus and want to honor him with what they have is celebrated and that's part of our growth and discipleship. So yeah, don't just look sideways to others, but think about you and what God's entrusted to you and how you're seeking to honor him with it. Mm. Hope that's helpful. Let's get into Genesis. Uh, a few questions, uh, thinking a bit more generally about suffering to start with, because plenty of suffering going on in this part of the story. Um, so fair enough. Someone says, I don't think this passage means all suffering is for good. God used Joseph's suffering to bring the people of Israel to Egypt and shape a future for them as a people. But I don't think that means our suffering will necessarily be for good. I think that was about Joseph and Israel, but does not mean the same for us? Thoughts on that, Peter? It's a great question because we do need to be really careful, particularly when we're reading the Old Testament. We need to be careful about picking an Old Testament story and applying that very directly to our own lives. Say, I don't know, Gideon and the fleeces. If Mm. you want to find out God's will, just, you know, put a bit of fleece outside and if it's wet or dry, you'll know. We've got to be careful about these things. So it's, it's, it's wise to be cautious about that. But I think we have got good reasons that we can draw lessons from the Joseph story for us today. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, the, the shape of this narrative as a whole, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna see in the week to come as well. There's there's good reasons for that too. I mean, one of the reasons I think when you read the Joseph story in the context of the Bible as a whole, you, know, you have some reflections in the New Testament that talk about the role of suffering in our lives and our discipleship. And probably one of the most famous verses in that connection is in Romans chapter eight. Paul's talking about our present sufferings as part of this groaning creation and sometimes we Christians are those who are facing death all day long like sheep to be slaughtered Uh, and he says uh, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according, according to his purpose and that that purpose he goes on to talk about being conformed to the image of God's son you have this massive really universal statement there in all things God works for the good of those who love him and that is, I think, the Joseph narrative applied to us. Now, I don't know if Paul's particularly reflecting on Joseph at that point, but certainly the kinds of things that Joseph says about how, you know, oh, you brothers, you didn't even send me here. In the end, it was God who sent me to Egypt because he was the one who was preserving a remnant. He's the one who's saving life uh, in Genesis 45. Paul's making a similar kind of point that for us, uh, we have this confidence that in all the circumstances we go through, however hard and difficult they might be, through all of them, God is working for our good. And that, I mean... You know, good is a good's a big word, isn't it? It's a little word with a, a big thing, a lot of things going on. Um, I think the idea of ultimate good is what Paul's talking about there. It's not necessarily like everything's going to instantly be fine, and you should just sort of, you know, if anything goes wrong, um, it's instantly going to be better. Like this is this is a long term good. Like through the the pain and the, the the hard lessons of our our life in this fallen world where bad stuff happens, God is gradually and perseveringly growing us to be like Jesus like that's this good that he's working out that's something that Joseph found out for himself and I think that's something that's true for us as Christians too in light of a verse like that Mm. yeah would you want to add anything else there 
Yeah, I think, I mean, perhaps it's worth just uh, thinking a little bit about what the alternative would be. Mm. If uh, we could say, well, suffering happens, but there's no good purpose behind it. Yeah. Well, I guess why has suffering happened? Is it because uh, God is not in control? God is unable to prevent suffering? Uh, that evil is almost as strong as God and, you know, 49% of the time evil gets its way and God sort of takes his wins where he can get them? Mm. Or does suffering happen because we're in a blind universe? Just random chance, it just happens to you. Well, the Bible's not prepared to come at either of those. If there is a God who is sovereign and who is good, then we have to say that suffering is itself not good, mm. but it's somehow enfolded within God's good purposes. It doesn't happen without God's control, and it doesn't happen without God's overseeing it for his ultimate good purposes. Yeah. So lots going on in all that. Um, I mean, we'll keep, like, the next question I think is good, sort of a more specific version of that, so this will help us keep drilling in deeper. Someone said, It's great to see the big picture of God working through Joseph's suffering to bring good. Just wondering, how can we know if the struggles we are going through in our life are from God, or if they're a spiritual battle that we need to stand strong through? So I guess this person's presenting us with two alternatives, like either these hard things are from God, or they're perhaps from the devil, like there's this, you know, it's part of this, good versus evil, you know, Satan versus Jesus uh, struggle, like, yeah, how do we work out which of those things it is when hard times come? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that if you follow closely the details of this Joseph story in Genesis is that it encourages you not to make that choice. Mm. Joseph certainly doesn't seem ready to make that choice. So he says, for example, in Genesis chapter 45 and uh, verse 4, he says, I'm your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt. Uh, he knows exactly <laughs> how he got to Egypt, and yeah. he's reminding them, right? He's just not in gonna... case you'd forgotten. You know, yeah. Just, yeah. How he's do we get here? He's yeah. not going to pay him back, but mm. he's not letting him off the hook. You yeah. guys did that. Uh, but then he says, four verses later in verse 8, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Mm. So he's, Joseph is trying to really have it both ways. Who sent him to Egypt? The brothers, definitely the brothers. They got the silver to prove it, and off he went. Mm. Who sent him? Well, God did. It was God's yeah. purpose. And, and Joseph sees that actually the same event uh, is, we might say, overdetermined, or it has uh, multiple causes. It's caused by the evil intent of the brothers. It's caused by the good intent of God. Yeah. And I think that's the pattern through the Bible. I mean, in my talk, we, we looked at Acts 4, where the early disciples are looking at the cross of Jesus, and they, they're praying to God, and they say, you know, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles like, all got together and conspired against the Lord's anointed one. And they did what you, God, had decided beforehand should happen. So, yeah, clearly there it's this, you know, it's part of this evil struggle of the leaders of the nations in that Psalm 2 kind of way against God. And that's exactly what God's plan was. So, yeah, this is one of those things that we come back to every now and again on the extras, but this idea of compatibilism, uh, that the, the scripture doesn't make us choose between uh, evil as a kind of human or a demonic thing and God's sovereignty those two things are just presented side by side as compatible they're, they're these two perspectives that are both true and both going on and big part of the Joseph story is showing that like you see that really ring out loud and clear I mean another place we see it is the book of Job like there it really is very clearly a spiritual battle you have you know the adversary in God's heavenly court Satan who comes and says hey I want to you know take a shot of that Job guy like I'm pretty sure that he only really likes you because you've been good to him and you know you see this struggle of kind of God working um, and Satan working and 
both those things are going on. Like God isn't absent. Like he, he's the one who allows the, the, the adversary to do that at that point. So yeah, yeah don't choose. It's a both end. That's right. It's even more complicated there, isn't it? Because these cattle rustlers turn up and take Job's stuff. And mm. so they, you know, people are maliciously stealing. Yeah. Satan is trying to tear Job down mm. and God is putting Job to the test. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, all going on. Um, yeah, it's complex, isn't it? Yeah, and and yeah, those are the the kind of the perspectives that we're invited to take on it. Um, I think we're going to say yeah, as we get into more specifically some questions about forgiveness and reconciliation, that kind of thing. Hopefully, that's going to help us get into that deeper as well. So that's where we're headed for the rest of the time. Um, like we said at the start, this beautiful picture of reconciliation, which does raise all sorts of questions for us. Um, Someone to start. Uh, someone's asked, "How does Joseph forgive his brothers for all their past abuse against him?" and Maybe the how is really the accent that question. Like, how how is this possible that he could show that kind of forgiveness after what they did? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Mm. I think, as you said, Jack, it's just a a beautiful and an amazing human story, and kind of um, optimistic and inspiring in the best in the best possible way. Mm. Um, it does give us a bit of a sense of the how. It doesn't say in so many words, but it's pretty clear that his brothers go on a a bit of a journey, especially mm. Judah, as you pointed out, who's kind of pretty awful character at the start. Yeah, he's the ringleader who just wants to make a quick buck at that's, the start. That's right, and this kind of wretched episode with Tamar mm. as well. Yeah. Uh, but he he really has really has grown. So mm. he's changed, and there's a kind of um, an expression of remorse. So as they're speaking to each other in Hebrew, thinking that Joseph only understands Egyptian, they talk about um, their guilt. They, mm. they, they talk about their sense that we've done the wrong thing and it's, it's caught up with us. Yeah. Um, so in, in various ways his brothers do uh, actually express um, a kind of repentance for what they've done. Yeah. And you see that kind of as the sort of the hinge, like that's what brings this narrative to the climax. Like you have Judah like passionately pleading with the governor of Egypt, like let me take Benjamin's place. And it's that point at which Joseph sort of breaks down and, you know, he's been stringing them along and he's kept up this straight and it just can't hold it anymore. Like that's the mm. point where he's like, everyone away from here, I'm just about to burst into tears because... I take it he's seen this transformation. Like part of the picture of what he's able to do is he's seen, he's been testing the brothers to see how they changed and he's seen just how far Judah's come and he's just overwhelmed by that. I think that's part of the picture. Um, the other part of it I think is Joseph's window into the providence of God, into God's sovereign rule. Um, and that comes out, chapter 45, verse 5. Uh, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. He says to the brothers, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You have there, part of the story, I think, is Joseph's able to not hold things against the brothers because he can see that this wasn't just them acting, so to speak. Like, God is in this picture too, and God has brought this about for this wonderful, good purpose that, you know, the salvation of a whole family from, I mean, from famine, but more than that, like, from themselves, like, salvation from their warring hatred and jealousy he's brought them back together um and somehow for joseph like i think what you said is really helpful like he, it's not like he lets him off the hook like he still says you sold me and yet he's able to move past that and let the grudge go i think because he can see part of the bigger picture and i don't think that automatically makes all the questions go away but it's got to be part of the story like if you can see that like god is doing good even in the evil someone's done against you like that does that does diffuse things to some extent like there's a bigger thing going on than just um just this person trying to hurt you i mean difficult for us to kind of immediately jump to us right like, this question's about joseph i mean that doesn't automatically mean that 
we're going to know exactly what God was doing all the time when someone was hurting us. So, yeah, it may not be easy for us to jump straight to, oh, it's really easy for us to forgive someone because, like, we know that God's doing good all the time. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I mean, we, we may lack that window. Um, but I think there's something, there is something quite wonderful in that somehow Joseph sees behind the curtain and sees God in motion and sees, mm. sees God directing evil toward good. And he, he is prepared to be gracious because he sees that, that God's exercised a kind of grace here. He's, he's, yeah. He sees God in motion and he kind of falls into step, I think. Mm. Yeah. Still more questions. And yeah, let's keep going on. Um, someone's asked, when Joseph forgives, he's forgiving after becoming so successful and seemingly happy. How can we forgive if we're still in a place of suffering? Yeah, well, and perhaps it's just worth kind of... One thing that's worth saying is I'm not entirely sure Joseph has uh, put the past wholly behind him. Uh, mm. I think he does a few things that tell you he's still he's still pretty traumatised mm. by by the whole event. Um, not least, um, seeing his brothers, recognising them, and uh, going to extreme lengths to conceal his identity from them. He, he doesn't start out, Hey, guys, <laughs> how you doing? Yeah. Oh, they'll, they'll let bygones be bygones. I'm, everything's great for me now. Don't worry about it. Mm. That's actually not what happens. You know, he's, he's still feeling it uh, in, in a real way. Mm. So that's one thing to say. Yeah, and I don't think it was going to see in the bit that unfolds uh, this Sunday, like the, the final kind of the wrap-up section. Um, like, Joseph knows he's not home. Like, he's, you know, the most powerful man in this huge, powerful country, and he's got his finally got his whole family there, and they're all in the, you know, they get settled in Goshen, the most wonderful part of the land. And the story ends with Joseph saying, like, I don't want to stay here. Like, take my bones back to the promised land because that's where we belong. Like, Joseph is sort of still in exile in a sense. Like, it's not like it's all just kind of sunny, happy, rosy, fun times. But that said, I mean, like, yeah, like, Joseph has had a reversal, right? Like, he's he's been down in the depths, and he has been brought out of that to, to a huge extent. Like, he's he's been honoured. Like, what is... Someone says at some point, you know, see the glory that I have, and, yeah, I can't remember exactly where that word comes out, but you certainly see this picture of Joseph's honour and glory. So, yeah, if you are right in the midst of your kind of dark night of the soul right now, that could be a very different story. Like, when... Yeah, when we go through hurt and people are against us and we, we feel the, the betrayal of those who, who've wronged us when that's still going on and we feel that most acutely um, yeah you, you can see how it's a different picture from the kind of forgiveness that Joseph's been showing just right here yeah I mean how do we think about that like if we are in the midst of the darkness still what does it look like to think about forgiveness I think you're yeah absolutely right to say it's just really hard, mm. particularly when we're in the thick of experiencing the, the consequences of the um, perhaps the, the wrongdoing that others have visited on us. Uh, very, very difficult to come to that place of forgiveness. Mm. Um, so it's you know, wrong to pretend otherwise, I think. Yeah. Um, but by the same token, I don't think we'd say, well, it's very hard, so you know, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, we pray, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, like Jesus taught us, Pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Mm. Uh, and Jesus just assumes that that's what happens. Forgiveness is this non-negotiable implication of the gospel. If you've yeah. been forgiven, you forgive. That's, that's um, how the logic of that works. Um, and so I think you can't undercut either side of that equation. It's hard, so hard, mm. uh, particularly if, if someone has, has, has wronged you and you're, you're just living with that 
every day and feeling the pain of that every day. It's, it's really hard. And our Lord calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Yeah. And something, I mean, at some point, like our grasp of the gospel is going to help us see that, that, you know, and no matter how badly we've been wronged, and like, and I don't say that lightly, like, you know, I know people who have been seriously hurt and mistreated at the hands of others, and yet Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant is kind of meant to show us, like, even our worst things that we suffer at the hands of others, um, compared to what God has forgiven us, are this kind of tiny speck, right? You know, if you've been forgiven the debt of 10,000 talents or um, 10,000 bags of gold or whatever our translations say, and then you go and kind of refuse to um, let off your mate who owes you 50 bucks or whatever. Like, that's that's the kind of thing that we're called to, right? Like, it's it's a radical picture of forgiveness in light of just how radical the forgiveness God has shown us is. And when you're in the midst of great hurt, it looks impossible. So <laughs> I think, as you said, both those things are there. Um, I, think, like, I think practically, like, it's going to be a process. Like, forgiveness is costly and it's hard and that's not this glib, simplistic thing that, often happens overnight like we're called to it and we're called to this hard thing and it's by the grace of god that it's possible and you're going to fight for it in light of the gospel and the forgiveness you've been shown and i don't know how to make it any easier than that because it's not easy is it but um yeah i think i think that's i think that's sort of where we're at it's hard and how wonderful is the forgiveness we've been shown yeah and what do you say We'll keep going. Uh, another question, a few more. Like We're unpacking this kind of theme as we go. There's been a great set of questions about this. Uh, next one is, uh, Joseph's brothers are remorseful. What do we do if we're called to forgive when the person who's hurt us is not remorseful? Yeah, so again, kind of probing into what happens when forgiveness is is hard. Mm. And, uh, and I think perhaps forgiveness just is always hard where hurts are real and... Mm. Um, this can be one of the one of the ways that in in the real world forgiveness can be very uh, messy and difficult. Uh, where the the wronged part, uh, the the wronging party, the, the the one who has done the wrong, is not prepared to accept that what they did was wrong. Not mm. prepared to show remorse for that. What do you do? Um, I think certainly reconciliation requires uh, repentance mm. on the on the part of the wrongdoer, uh, an admission of. Uh, you know, telling truth about about the the, the wrong and um, saying, "Well, I uh, that was not the right thing for me to do." Stepping back from from that action, mm. um, and forgiveness, I think, in a sense, is also kind of incomplete until that kind of repentance is there. Um, so these things are a two way street. For certainly, for there to be full reconciliation, mm. there needs to be both. Uh, forgiveness on one side and repentance on the other but I think at least as far as we go as far as it depends on us you know we can open ourselves up to that possibility we can uh, we can relinquish the desire to see that person suffer Mm. Uh, we can pray for them and pray that God would grant them repentance yeah Um, and uh that you know, it's a two-way street, but we can open our side of the street by doing those things. And um, and I guess something that I said, you know, when we were talking about it, it who knows? Um, who knows what kind of effect that openness might have, even yeah. at softening the hard-hearted, un- unrepentant sinner. Something like that happens in the case of Joseph. Mm. Um, a little softness draws out more softness. Yeah, 
I don't think that's a, a rule that that always going to be the case, um, but uh, maybe who knows? Yeah. So you've kind of got maybe to just really try and help clarify. Maybe you have sort of like steps along a spectrum, if you like. You know, when someone's wronged you, like the the ideal and what you hope and pray towards is this full reconciliation where um, relationship continues and you can embrace one another and um, kind of be restored. Step before that is, you know, um, maybe you get to the point where someone sort of is willing to say, you know, I've done the wrong thing, I'm sorry, and you can say, I forgive you, and it might be hard to reconcile if, you know, the, the, the shape of that relationship is now kind of changed. Like, you know, sin has consequences, and maybe you're not going to trust the person in the same way again. Like, maybe that's part of the ongoing kind of thing that goes on. Um, but forgiveness can still be done. And the step before that is if someone just doesn't want anything to do with you, they're not going to ask you for forgiveness. They're not going to say what you've done wrong. But you can still let go of the grudge. You can still, like, fight the bitterness and not hold this against that person. Is that a fair sort of... Yeah, that's really helpful, Walking back along the path, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I would say that if we come to the point where we can sincerely pray for... That's what Jesus says, isn't it? You know, mm. pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. If we like can seek their good. Yeah, um, pray that God will do good to them and that God will grant them the grace of repentance and, mm. and forgiveness. Um, that, to me, seems to be something to aim for. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, we had another question about reconciliation, but I think we've just sort of covered it, so we'll come right to our last one. And that is, do we still turn the other cheek in instances of continued domestic abuse? How do we justify self-defense if it's, the, if it's then, you know, not putting the other person before yourself? Does forgiveness meaning allowing things like that to continue as well? I think it's worth just being crystal clear here. Uh, domestic abuse uh, is wrong. Yeah. It can never be justified, uh, not according to scripture, mm. not according to circumstance. Domestic abuse is wrong. And if you're in a situation where you're experiencing domestic abuse, seek help. Yeah. Uh, speak to somebody at church, one of the pastors. Uh, we would like to help you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you don't need to stay in a situation where you're experiencing domestic abuse. Seek help. Yeah, loud and clear. Like that's that's really what we want to say. Um, I mean, getting into the questions that stands. I mean, this idea of turning the other cheek that that comes out in Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount. I think looks like you might have the verse for us there, Peter, to have a read of. I think it's worth us thinking through. Yeah, what's Jesus saying there? Because it's one of the realities, sadly, in our world is that people do use and well misuse the scriptures and twist them and distort them mm. in order to put people who are in situations of abuse sort of under the the extra spiritual weight of oh you need to just keep suffering this because the bible says so i mean we want to extend like a loud and clear no that's not what the bible's saying but it's, i mean it's worth us looking at the details of that what what is jesus talking about when we talk about turning the other cheek yeah okay well i'll read it out so we're in matthew chapter 5 and verse 38 jesus says this is part of the sermon on the mount mm. He says, you've heard it said, uh, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Yeah. So Jesus quotes a part of the law of Moses, this eye for eye and tooth for tooth, which in its original context is uh, designed to set up a principle of proportionate retaliation mm. right so someone pokes you in the eye don't cut off their leg yes it's meant to stop you from over retaliating it's meant to limit 
retaliation. That's right. And which is what we all, you know, that's our human impulse to, mm. I'm going to pay you back with interest, Jack, for what you did to me. Yeah. And uh, the law says, no, 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 um, proportional, don't escalate mm. the cycle of violence. Yeah. Uh, Jesus says, uh, yes, and. Mm. You know, beyond that, beyond uh, restraining that impulse to escalating violence, meeting violence with more violence, beyond that, meet violence with peace. Yeah. Uh, Jesus says, better to be a victim than a retaliator. Mm. It's, a, it's a principle of, of radical uh, non-retaliation. Yeah. But this verse uh, can't be, mustn't be, twisted uh, to say uh, the abused ought to continue mm. to, in the situation of their abuse, that they ought to continue to be abused. Uh, Jesus' words are not in time, uh, intended to um, valorize victimization. Oh, mm. it's so good to be a victim. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying uh, that his people, the people of the kingdom, are not retaliators. Yeah. Better to be one who gives up the right and kind of cop it rather than retaliate. But that's not the same as saying being a victim is great and you should just keep suffering because that's a good thing. Like, that's not what he's saying. Yes. Better to, better to cop it than to retaliate. Mm. But that's not the same as saying it's good to cop it. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I just say again, uh, if you find yourself being victimized, if you are copying it, uh, especially if you're in a, in a situation of abuse that's dangerous, mm. uh, remove yourself from that situation. Yeah, I mean, especially the case when there's other people involved, like when it's when there's children in the the relationship as well. I mean, seeking their good is um, another like hugely vital part of that whole equation and a reason to get out and seek help. Um, yeah, it's not good to let people continue to abuse as if that's, you know, this great sanctified God-given thing because, you know, Jesus says so. Like, it's just not the case. Like, there's, you know, on every front, like, all of those, all of those reasons mean the right thing to do is to, to, to speak out and, and call for help and get out of this because, yeah, that's, yeah, Jesus is not condoning this, any of it. And it's worth perhaps saying, um, uh, in line with, with all of that, uh, that there are a number of um, practical services designed at, at helping people uh, who need to get out of a situation which is a dangerous situation for them uh, can be very difficult to think, where would I sleep? What would I eat? You know, mm. How would we sustain ourselves? Um, our church uh, is uh, part of a network in which we have access to these kinds of resources. So mm. just to really reiterate... Um, you, you, you need not stay in such a situation mm. um, and uh, there's options for you. Yeah, and we'd encourage you to, to pursue that. That's really important, yeah. We hope that helps some of you out there who are facing this. Yeah, we, we, it grieves us to, to know that's going on and we, yeah, we, we long to help. So please, yeah, help give us the chance to help. Yeah, that's a big one, an important one for us to talk about. Uh, that brings us to the end of our questions today. Uh, Peter, as we head towards this coming Sunday, we're, we're in the last week of our Genesis, you know, mm. last week, last episode of the final series of the book of Genesis, as I've been saying. Yeah, what are we looking forward to uh, in the week ahead? Yeah, well, we're looking forward to lots of threads getting drawn together. So we'll see how God's promises are tracking. We've made lots of progress, but still as an eye to the future because the book of Genesis really looks beyond the book of Genesis. Uh, it might be the final uh, season or in the <laughs> series of the episode. I'm not sure how that metaphor works, yeah. but there's plenty more story to come. Mm. And so actually the book of Genesis points us forward ultimately, of course, to the Lord Jesus. 
we're looking forward to, uh, yeah, it's funny, wrapping up the threads and seeing how the threads keep going. So, yeah, look forward to joining you for that on Sunday. Till then, God bless, and we'll catch you then. Bye now. <laughs>